Well, Happy New Year! Thank you. How have the first seven days been? Snowy, a little woo here, there, woo, okay. Well, I hope it is everything that you feel like 2024 should be heading towards. Um, I personally crawled out of 2023 with a fever and body aches. And so I truthfully, I'm just on like the t very tail end of that. And so I'm praying I don't end up in a coughing fit while we are here together this morning. And so for me, I was happy to dropkick 2023 and see it uh, its way out and welcome in a new chapter of 2024. Um, but I also realize not everybody feels that way about 2023. There's some people that feel bittersweet about 2023 leaving. Maybe it came with some really great dreams, having a first baby, getting married, starting grad school. We all find ourselves kind of in a different place when it comes to 2023, but what, it doesn't matter either way, however we feel about 2023, doesn't change the fact that a new year tends to stir up dreaming in us, a desire for more in life, even if you don't like setting goals, right? Like there's always people that start the new year and then they just kind of like make fun of New Year's resolutions or people who make New Year's resolutions. But the fact that they're talking about it only proves that they're thinking about it. See, a new year is an opportunity to reach for the things that we want to have happen in our lives. Maybe it's financial freedom, starting a new career path, Maybe it's staying home with your kids or homeschooling your kids. Maybe it's a new workout plan or starting to eat healthy. And I know that we give a really hard time to this concept of New Year's resolutions. I think it's because like, what, 95% of them fail within the first week. But what we see in the attempt is a hope and a vision for more in our lives. That we can truly become a great people living lives of meaning and purpose and accomplishing the things that our hearts desire. And if you're a Christian, this is part of following Jesus, that God would bring about deep, transformative, permanent change in our lives. But how do we see that happen? I think it's easy for us to get lost in a list of do's and don'ts. Like, that's typically our approach to change in our life. And it's also why so many New Year's resolutions fail. So in 2024, I'm not going to eat any more sugar. I'm just cutting myself off. I'm just done with sugar. Or in 2024, I'm not going to turn in a single late assignment. I'm just no longer going to be a procrastinator. Or in 2024, I'm just done yelling at my kids. But the problem with this approach is that it's all surface change. Nothing's actually changed on the inside in our hearts. And truthfully, I think that that's the approach a lot of us take in our walk with God. Where our, out, where our relationship with him is nothing more than a list of good behaviors and rules that we think that we have to be living. And if we don't really get to know who God truly is, it can be easy to think that the Bible is nothing more than about behavior management. But when we read that God's law says in the Bible, do not lie, what God really wants for us is a heart of integrity. 
When we read in the Bible that God says, take care of the poor and those in need, he wants us to have a heart of generosity and humility. When we read in the Bible that God says, do not envy or worry, we see that God wants us to have a heart of peace and contentment. See, when Jesus arrived on the scene, he showed with his own life how to have our hearts transformed to what God truly wants for us. The whole point of Christianity wasn't just so that our souls would go to heaven when we die, but that God would come and live among us, his human creatures here on this earth. And we get that when God has his way in our lives and transforms us to be like Jesus. That's what we're praying in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. See, we're not building the kingdom of God. We're making a way for the kingdom of God. We are building for the kingdom. We're creating communities that reflect God's heart for the world. Outward-looking communities which are bringing hope and healing and teaching out into the world. And those communities are us. They start in each of us by God shaping us from the inside. And that begins to happen when we see the beauty of who Jesus is. Think about it. Have you ever met someone, or maybe you know someone, and the way they show up in, in life it makes you go, I want to be like that. So the other day, I was in the Starbucks drive-thru, and they were slammed. Like, the parking lot was full, the drive-thru was full, you could see how they were incredibly busy. And I ordered my drink, and the lady that worked there was lovely. I didn't even expect her to be as nice as she was because they were so stressed inside the building. And I drove away thinking, I want to be like that when I'm under stress. When I'm stressed, I want people to walk away from experiencing me and saying, I want to be like that. And that's just a tiny example of what we experience when we see the life of Jesus. He demonstrates true beauty for how he engaged in a very broken and very hurting world. And the things that we see in him and say, I want to be like that, those are the fruit of the Spirit. It's true love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are markers. They're evidence. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is at work within us. And when we really get to know Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be changed on the inside. Real, permanent, transformative change can happen. Then we're becoming people that make others stop and say, I want to be like that. Because really what we're doing is just showing them who Jesus is. We're becoming communities of hope and healing that reflect the heart of God. And that's what our new series is all about. It's called Seeing Jesus, A Character Worth Having. And over the next few weeks, 
we're going to be taking a look at the gospel stories, so the stories in the Bible that are about Jesus' life here on this earth. And we're going to allow the beautiful life that Jesus lived to reshape our character so that we might see the fruit of the Spirit come alive in each of us. And so for 2024, and forever, because we're always growing, right? May we truly become people that have genuine character that reflects Jesus. Actually, can we stop and pray for that? Is that cool? We're still awake? We're still here, right? Okay, let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for the fresh feeling of a new year. And that is, there's just, there's something so sweet and so special about that. And so this morning, as we're talking and listening to you, May you begin to shape us to be a reflection of you, to be people that others stop and say, I want to be like that. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you change us this year to have genuine character? And may that, that change start today. May transformation start today in each of us. Amen. Okay, so as we kick off the series, our gospel story this morning is from John 13, and it's a little bit of a long one, but nothing we can't handle. It's 13, 1 through 21, and so you can grab a Bible on the seat in front of you if you'd like to follow along, but I'd also encourage you, this is a story, and so sometimes it's better if we just imagine what the story looks like, and so if you want to close your eyes, if you fall asleep, it's all good. I'm not going to feel bad. Um, But if you want to close your eyes, you can. Uh, Or if you want to stare off into space and just envision the story, I really encourage you to do that because we're about to hear the story from the life of Jesus and we're going to see what Jesus' love looks like. We get to see the beautiful ways Jesus approached love and how he breaks through the barriers that keep us from love. And then we get to choose. We can allow that love to transform us. All right, I'm going to definitely need a drink of water and hopefully don't start coughing. Here's what we read. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. 
And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. So the first thing that we see in this story is how Jesus approached love. He approached love as a top priority. So the night before Jesus is about to die, his very last night with his disciples, what is his biggest concern? He's not running through a list of things for them to to remember. He's not quizzing them on the five-step prayer model. He's not making sure the Airbnb is booked for three nights after his death. It tells us in verse 1, he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. As Jesus was nearing the end of his life, in a matter of hours, His biggest concern was when he knew that the disciples in a little bit were going to be incredibly disoriented. He knew that they didn't understand the full picture of his plan. And instead of trying to explain himself and get them as ready as possible, Jesus knew that the very best thing for them, without a shadow of a doubt, was for them to know that he loved them. That's powerful. And to take it one step further, this is happening in a room where there are people that he knows are going to hurt him. They're going to betray him. Yet he still showed his love to every single person in the room. Talk about leaving a legacy. When you picture the end of your own life, how do you measure success? Maybe you're hoping to write a book one day and leave all your wisdom and all your thoughts behind for the next generation. Or maybe you love to travel, and so you have all sorts of stories and pictures about all of your travel and all the wonderful people that you've met. Now, those aren't bad things, but what if we got to the end of our life and those around us were able to say, love was a top priority? But not just those who are easy for us to love, like our friends and our family, but what about difficult coworkers? What about the people in our life that want to see us fail? What if they were able to say that love was a top priority? And Jesus didn't just tell them that he loved, him, that he loved them. It was more than a sentiment. 
Jesus also approached love as an action. He showed them that he loved them. He says, I want to show you what love is all about. I want to show you what I am all about. I want to show you what you're supposed to be all about. I want to show you love. And of all the things that he could have done in that moment, he washed feet. Now, there are some cultural pieces that are happening here that can be easy to miss on the surface. So typically, this job was done by the lowest servant because it was a disgusting job. All the roads were made of dirt and all the vehicles were like horses and mule and they left their exhaust everywhere. And people typically traveled barefoot or in sandals and so their feet were nasty, okay? They stepped in things, they walked in things, their feet were rough, cut up, beat up, and uncared for. These were incredibly dirty feet. And not only did no one want this job, but if you had this job, it meant that you were at the very bottom of the ranks. And that's the position that Jesus intentionally takes, the place of a servant. And he doesn't wash their feet upon arrival, which is the custom. He gets up in the middle of the meal to show them that this was a deliberate action not just an act of courtesy. That's because to him, love is more than a sentiment. It goes beyond words, and is, is, it's expressed in how we behave and in how we serve others. And now typically for us, like we can manage doing acts of service here and there, you know, keep that humility in check a little bit. But what Jesus wants for us is a lifestyle of service. And truthfully, this is really hard because we don't like to be at the bottom. We don't like to be seen as ordinary. We like to be the best. We like to rank at the top. We want to be seen as special, and that can get in the way of living a life of service. But here's how the author of a church called Tove views the ordinary. He says, in some respects, in our contemporary culture, ordinary has acquired the connotation of not good enough. Let's face it, most people are average, because that's what average means. But being average is seen by many as unacceptable. On a report card, a C feels more like an F for a lot of people. And even a B is an insult because everyone wants and thinks they deserve an A. That's because everyone thinks they're above average. Think about that for a while, and you'll understand the absurdity of what's happening in our culture. We can't all be special, because special would then mean ordinary, and we need a new word to set ourselves apart. And even special has taken on a connotation that seems less than desirable. So maybe we should just all be ordinary after all. Philosopher Dallas Willard spoke of the obviously well-kept secret of the ordinary, which is that it is made to be a receptacle of the divine and a place where the life of God flows. John Ortberg, a student and friend of Willard's, observed that it was the extent of the ordinariness that made the extraordinary so striking. The extraordinary 
gave him a poise and wonder and playfulness and ease that made people around him feel their extraordinariness a little more strongly. That's ordinary. That's okay. And that's what it means to serve others. Our willingness to simply be average, to not view ourselves as robbed of some status that we deserve, allows us to hold a posture of service to others, where we become satisfied with just being us, regular old people. And then in in comparison, it lets others get a glimpse of being extraordinary themselves. That's humility in service that points to love. That's Jesus washing feet. So when I was in high school, I went on a lot of missions trips. And I remember one specific missions trip in Bayou Labatry, Alabama. And it was hot and it was muggy and we did a lot of outdoor projects on that missions trip. And so after a day's work, we would close our evening and um, we would do like a devotional all together. And so I'm not going to lie to you, that night we talked about Jesus washing the the disciples' feet, but I didn't listen to a thing. I was totally checked out. I was talking to some friends of mine, whispering to some friends of mine. I was that student at school, yes. Maybe you're not surprised. But um, I remember sitting there, and as I'm not paying attention to what's going on, what caught my attention was they started bringing out these buckets of water and towels, And I'm like, what's going on? And I I lean over to my friend Allie, and I'm like, what are they doing? She says, they're going to wash our feet. I'm like, what? We're going to do what? And I remember thinking, I'm like, this is weird. This is like that weird church stuff that people go and talk about later, and they're like, I had the weirdest church experience. And so I'm like, what? what, I guess this is what we're going to do. And so sure enough, our youth leaders took buckets of water, And they went to their students, and they washed our feet. And I remember this tension of feeling, like, embarrassed. I was like, this is so weird for all of us. We're all just having this awkward moment together. So I was kind of embarrassed for me. I was embarrassed for the room. But also kind of slightly, like, honored. I'm like, but they're doing it. They're actually washing our feet. And we're gross, okay? We were just working outside in the bayou. And I remember thinking, I'm so thankful I probably don't have the grossest feet in the room. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> But now think about my experience and compare it to the disciples' experience. It's my experience only amplified. They were probably embarrassed for Jesus and for the group. Like, what if somebody walks in right now? There's a lot of people that are always looking for Jesus. What if they come in and see this happening? But also... Wow, Jesus would do this for me. That's the ordinary, making others feel extraordinary. How do we take that position? Maybe it's doing your roommate's dishes that fill the sink every other day because they never bother to do them themselves. Maybe it's doing your sibling's least favorite chore or cleaning out the leftover food in the sink after the dishes are done, or the hair out of the drain. Nasty. Nobody wants that job. 
by giving ourselves permission to be average, to be simply who we are. It helps us take on this act of love that's found in service. But Jesus not only approached love as a top priority and as an action, he also views love as core to his identity. So right after the passage tells us that the devil had prompted Judas, we read in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. This is the very reason, the very anchor that allowed Jesus to do the things he did. He knew that he was deeply loved by his father and that with him he had everything that he could ever need. And it gave him confidence to show up the ways that he wanted. Now I know a lot of you, I actually just had somebody ask me about this in the lobby this morning. And I know a lot of you know this about me. Maybe you don't if you're new around here, but I'll let you in on a little secret fear of mine and it's that I hate public speaking. I absolutely hate it. If my boss told me tomorrow that I didn't have to do it ever again, I would be like, whoo, best day ever, 2024, doesn't disappoint. <laughs> but I've been on a journey to overcome my fear. And I want to tell you what's helped me the most. Now, a lot of you have been incredibly encouraging, incredibly kind and compassionate towards me as I've continued to push through my fears. Um, but the thing that's helped me the most, and I know it might even sound a little bit cheesy, but when I feel like my anxiety is starting to get the best of me, where it's really beginning to rise up, I tell myself a part of a verse. And that verse is, love covers a multitude of sin. And the whole verse says, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sin. And it helps me remember my own core identity. That I'm loved so much by God that even if I came on stage and said the dumbest thing or fell down or who knows what, we have still plenty of time, right? Like I can still make that happen. But no matter what happens, it wouldn't change how loved I am by God and that he's never going to leave me. And I actually feel my anxiety begin to go down. And then from there... I think about how loved I am by all of you, my church family. And then my anxiety goes down a little bit more. Jesus is teaching us that the love of God is a core part of our own identity and that with him, his sovereignty, everything is under control, especially if it feels out of control with a loneliness epidemic and a mental health crisis raging in our world, we need more than ever to know at our core the love of God. We need to know that we know that we know that he cannot be shaken and that he's not going to change. Jesus' approach to love is powerful and it's tangible. However, it's not always easy for us to take it for what it is. And so that's why we're going to also talk about the things that keep us from his love. What are the barriers of love? The first one is when we lack understanding. 
So we see this interaction between Jesus and Peter. And Peter has been watching what's been happening in the room. A few people before him are getting their feet washed. And soon Jesus comes to him and Peter asks a really stupid question. He says, are you going to wash my feet? And I'm willing to bet there was a solid pause there. You can't see it in the Bible, but I'm sure Jesus just stared at him. Like, did you not just see all the people's feet I just washed? What I'm wearing, what I'm holding. Sorry, I got distracted with that one. But Peter simply just doesn't know what's going on at the deepest level. And we might find ourselves in a similar place. The love that we read about in the Bible is truly at a depth that is hard for us to grasp sometimes. And it can be easy for us to make a cheap version to offer others or accept ourselves when we lack understanding. So here's a couple ways that our culture defines love that cause us to lack understanding about God's love. And the first is true love is not just tolerance. So tolerance is saying, you do you. It's fine. Everything's fine. As long as whatever you're doing doesn't interfere with me, it's fine. But that's not actually loving. Love is having vision for someone's life and knowing where their best self should be headed. Like honestly, if we really think about it, the more we love people, the more upset we should become when they're hurting themselves. So I have a friend that I've known for close to 20 years. And I can honestly say she is a huge gift and blessing in my life. And if she had not been in it, my life actually would look differently. And because we've spent so much time together, I know who she is. She knows who I am. I know about her life. She knows about my life. And we kind of know where we're headed as we continue moving forward. And now at one point, she had kind of started making some decisions in her own life when we were catching up one day that made me go, I don't, I don't know that that is who you want to be. I don't think that that's the road that you want to be heading down. And I could see that if she continued on in the trajectory that she was on, some things were probably going to blow up in her life. And so we had a really hard conversation. A really hard conversation because I cared about her. And I know that she would do the exact same thing for me. Now, it's also not my job to control her. And if that was the way that she wanted to go as her friend, I would still love her and be by her side. But it wouldn't have been loving for me to not check in. And again, I know she would do the exact same thing for me. Real love is being involved in someone's life and helping them become everything that they're designed to be. True love is also not just romance. A lot of people would say that love is an attraction, maybe to someone's physical appearance or to their success or to their wit or to their mind. And as Timothy Keller puts it, in the world, there's something people call love that's really hunger. Hunger says, I love you, which means you make me feel good about myself. 
You fill me up. You make me feel like I'm significant. I want to own you. I want to have you. I want you to make me feel like a real individual. I want you to help me become myself. That's hunger. And he goes on to give this illustration. He says, if you go up to a beautiful fruit tree and you're absolutely full, how do you enjoy it? You say, look at it. It's beautiful. You might take off some cobwebs or an old dead leaf, anything that detracts from its beauty. But if you come in front of a beautiful fruit tree and you're ravenously hungry, you are very attracted to the fruit tree in a completely different way. When we lack understanding on how we approach love, we begin to use people as a means to fill ourselves with the love that is only meant to come from Jesus. But when we're filled up with his love, it completely changes how we show up in our relationships with others, where the language of love becomes, how do I help you grow? So lack of understanding is a barrier of love, but the passage also shows us another barrier of love, and it's resistance. So after Peter realizes Jesus is going to wash feet, he's going to wash his feet, he tells Jesus no. He's reluctant. Peter's unwilling to receive love in such a humbling manner. But then after he realizes the seriousness of Jesus, he swings from reluctance to pride. He says, okay, you can actually wash my whole body. And Jesus insists, just the feet. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been washed. You've had your bath by the blood of Jesus. That's what it means to become a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. You're justified through faith, and once you've had that bath, you only need to wash your feet. It's taking time to remember the love the Father has for you and examining your heart. Where might sin be lingering in your life? How might resistance through pride and reluctance be keeping you from having your feet washed and experiencing the love of Jesus daily? And so how does Jesus respond to the barriers of receiving love? He graciously restates his request with a little more explanation and says only the feet are required. He doesn't make Peter feel ashamed or stupid. And when we, we, and when we find it difficult to have our own feet washed, when we have resistance or lack understanding of the ways that Jesus is leading us, we just need to remember how he responded with a consistent and gracious manner. And then after we recognize the beautiful ways that Jesus approached love and the barriers that prevent us from fully receiving it, we get to choose. Do we let love transform us? Do we let it bring about deep change within our hearts that shapes our character to line up with the character of Jesus? And if we're in, we can be transformed by his love. And transformation first takes place through obedience. 
In verse 14, Jesus says, I've washed your feet, now wash each other's feet. And then again in verse 16 and 17, he says, Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus is saying to his disciples, you've listened to many things I've said and you've somewhat learned them, but you haven't looked at who I am and become that. These are the very people that had been closest to Jesus in his time of ministry. Jesus wanted them to see how he lived his life and take it into their own and let it change who they are. Jesus, by washing feet, offered love through service and wants us to do the same. And the nice thing about it is you can just go for it. You don't need to find the perfect person. You can just do it. But the only way it's going to be effective is if you first have Jesus fill you with his love personally. He loves us simply for who we are, and there's nothing he can get from us. And that is actually how highly he loves us and views us. Only that kind of love can free us to love others in service and is what allows us to love him for who he is. So if we want to begin to experience transformation in our lives, it starts with obedience to Jesus' commands. And in John 14, 15 through 16, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And this brings us to the next way that we can encounter transformation. Transformation takes place by measuring our weaknesses, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the advocate that Jesus was talking about. The Holy Spirit is going to help us in the transformation process. And so to look at that, I want to talk about Judas, the disciple that betrayed Jesus. Judas actually teaches us a lot about the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So think about it. <clears throat> because he was in Jesus' inner circle, doing ministry with Jesus, he had the best small group experience that anybody had ever had. He had the best preacher that anybody had ever had. He had the most incredible moral example that anybody had ever had. He had the best hands-on training that anybody had ever had. Judas was also sent out with the other disciples to minister. He was equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit to get involved into other people's lives. He helped people. He counseled people. He taught people. He healed people. He cast out demons, and he helped set souls free. And he did this with all the other disciples and Jesus. The Holy Spirit used Judas's talents 
and gave him power for the benefit of the people around him, and he saw lives changed because of it. On the outside, he looks like the best Christian. But the Holy Spirit never indwelled within him, bringing real transformation in his heart. So what does this mean? It means that you can do great kingdom work, but never have genuine change happen within you. It means that one of the main measurements that we should use as followers of Jesus is are the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life? We have to look at the fruit. Love. Our acts of service becoming a regular, with humility, part of my lifestyle. How do I respond within my heart when someone asks me to do a job that I don't want to do? Joy. Am I experiencing beauty and life even in difficult seasons? Peace. Is my crazy job at Starbucks making people say, wow, you're lovely? Patience. We don't even need an example for that one, do we? Something we all probably need to be working on. And not just if they're growing, but where are they weakest so that we can begin to focus on improving those areas of our life with the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And this is where we're going to be going in the sermon series as a community over the next few weeks. Next week, I think we're talking about joy. And if you want to read up about the fruit of the Spirit, you can find them in Galatians 5 to prepare for next week. But ultimately, transformation only happens when we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and work, where we become willing to look at our shortcomings and our weaknesses and let him make deep, permanent change in our lives the rest of our lives. And it all begins with the love of Jesus. Seeing the beauty of Jesus and his approach to love. Pushing past the barriers that prevent us from fully receiving and accessing that love. And then when we're ready, real transform transformation can take place in such a way that reflects the character of Jesus and stops other people in our lives and makes them go, I want to be like that. I'm going to have you stand with me, and we're going to transition to ministry time. So ministry time is something we do every single Sunday. Um, it's just like a part of our regular rhythm of a Sunday service, and really a lot, a lot of the things that we do include ministry time, but it's just a time where we engage with God, where we take a minute to think about the things that God might be highlighting in our hearts and wanting to talk to us about, and so we get to just kind of step towards Jesus in that. And so you can make yourself as comfortable as you'd like. You can close your eyes. You can hold out your hands. But in just a minute, I'm going to begin to pray for us. <clears throat> and so Holy Spirit, would you come?
And Jesus, I think that there's a lot of us here this morning that long for change in our lives, but we feel stuck. We don't know where to start. It feels like there's too, too much where we're overshadowed by the amount of change we feel like we, we need. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that anyone that's feeling that this morning, that they would feel your comforting presence speak over them. This isn't about trying harder. And that you're going to meet them and you're going to equip them one step at a time. And I also feel like there's others of us here this morning that want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Like, I want transformation. I've tried to move towards transformation, but maybe I've left out the Holy Spirit part. And so if that's you this morning, we want to pray over you that you can receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, it will change everything. And if you're here this morning and you feel like maybe you've put your faith up on the shelf, and you're like, I don't know if this does anything. I don't know if this is worth the time of getting up Sunday mornings and showing up to small group. I want to offer you a fresh start with Jesus. Start 2024 with a fresh start with Jesus. And if that's you this morning, or if you just want to start a relationship with Jesus because you've never done it, I want you to pray this prayer. Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Lead my life because I don't know how to lead it. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross and your resurrection so that I can be connected to you. Lead me, Jesus. Transform me. Amen. So we're gonna, I'm going to invite the ministry team forward. And there might be some other things on your heart this morning that we didn't go over, and that's totally fine. I just want to encourage you. So let me pinch of a quick story. We had youth group on Wednesday, and we've been going through this series that is like Alpha mixed with the Bible Project, and we haven't really done a lot of ministry time. And I just really felt like, we needed to do ministry time with our students. And ironically, at the end of the video, they did prompt a ministry time. But let me tell you, if my cold medicine message did nothing for you this morning, that's okay. But there's a real God who sees you and loves you and wants to change who you are, wants to make your life worth living. And you can experience that this morning. You can kick off 2024 this morning by getting prayer and meeting directly with him, okay? So wherever you're at this morning, I just want to encourage you to take that next step because Jesus loves you and he wants to walk with you. We're going to continue to worship and then you can come up for prayer anytime you're ready.